Well, we're in the book of Matthew, and this is lesson 45, we're in, and we're entering into chapter 16. And you might remember for the last few weeks we've been looking at bread and the miraculous feeding of 5,000 and then 4,000. And we noted that those feedings are representative of the people of God. The feeding of the 5,000 was to Jewish people, the feeding of the 4,000 to the Gentile, to the Jew first and then the Gentile. And during this time, Yeshua has been teaching, he's been healing the multitudes of people. Yeshua has been healing, performing miracles, driving out demons everywhere he goes because he has compassion on his people. And so with all of this miraculous stuff going on, what a surprise when you read chapter 16 and verse 1. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Yeshua and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. And he replied, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the time. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except for the sign of Yonah. And so you've all read or heard this phrase, from, maybe from the farmer's almanac version or sailors, red sky in the morning, sailor take warning, red sky at night, sailor delight. We've all heard that, right? And you know, it's a fairly accurate way of predicting what the weather's going to be like the next day, just through this observation. And the argument Yeshua is presenting here is a Kolva Homer type argument, which if you've forgotten means arguing from the least important to the greatest. In other words, what Yeshua is saying, you understand these things of the heavens. You've learned what will happen with something as impossible to predict as the weather. You observe and understand and live by this sign. How is it? that you do not understand the things that I have done before your very eyes, the things that I've been doing. He says, no other sign will be given you. And why would Yeshua say that? Well, it's really easy, because they wouldn't accept it anyway. Just as you have accepted, haven't accepted the other things that I've done. The color of the sky is a simple thing that fishermen, sailors, farmers know, and they live by these signs. And those same fishermen and farmers have seen what I have done, and they seek me out. How is it you teachers of Israel, the wise men of Israel, the learned men of Israel, fail to see what's before your very eyes? Yes, we can look at it this way as well. He uses this simple sign as an example that every fisherman and farmer understands. He says, and he's on the Galilee where there are many fishermen and farmers. And he says, these simple farmers look to the sky and observe that in the evening, if the sky is red, the weather will be good. In the same way, they've looked at the things that I have done and they gather. They come to me, seek me out to be healed. Listen to my teachings. But you, the teachers of Israel, who also know these things because you have also observed these simple things, but you have failed to put two and two together. And he says, no sign will be given you, and the implication is easy, because you wouldn't accept it. To quote Solomon, there's nothing new under the sun. 
That which has been is that which shall be. That which has been done is that which shall be done. There's nothing new under the sun. People can always find an explanation for why miracles of the Bible happen and then they seek to discredit them, to minimize them. The Pharisees have already accused him of doing the things that he's done by the power of Satan to discredit Yeshua and the amazing things that he's done. And really, like I said, there's nothing new under the sun because we can look at all the great signs of the Bible and we can see that people have minimalized them. The crossing of the Red Sea. You've all heard the explanations. Well, the sea was really shallow there. And I heard another one not too long ago. This is one really good. If the wind blows just right, it can dry up this spot in the Red Sea, and that's probably where they crossed. You know, and how about this one? The Lord causes 180,000 soldiers to die in one night. And so what do we do? We look for a disease that would have killed them that quickly. You see, we look at the miracles God does and discredit them and try to figure out how they could have been done by themselves or done in another way, in a natural way. Shaul tells us, the wonders of creation testify of God. And then there are those who give credit to all that wonder to natural selection. Yeshua is already doing signs and wonders, and they're attributing them to Satan. They'll do the same with anything that he does. And so he says to them, A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given except the sign of Jonah. What made that generation evil and wicked? Well, it was the very thing that he's talking about here, demanding a sign. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 11 and verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death, for he could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. See, what I want you to see is that the wicked have no faith. If you look at the adulterous generations of the Bible, they had no faith. And these Pharisees as well, because these men, what they had begun to do is rely on their own understanding. You know, if you read the Bible, you have to come to the understanding that while the people are, of Israel are punished, they're dispersed off the land, and they're surely guilty for being led astray, but the one thing that's all important to note is they're always led astray. And who leads them astray? Their leaders. You see, we're not called sheep for nothing. We're called sheep because we're led. And who leads? Well, those usually those who are more educated than we are, more affluent than we are, the kings and the priests that led Israel. The Pharisees, if we look into the Messianic writings, nothing is new either because Christian theologians have led us astray too. They've led us away from Torah. Christian theologians have led us away from Sabbath. And yes, we were led, but we're still accountable because we were led. That learning in the flesh 
leads you away from faith in God. What was the sign of Jonah? Well, if we back up to chapter 12 where he spoke of this before, we get a little more information, and I'm going to read it here, verse 38. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. And he answered, A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a miraculous sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You see, chapter 16 leaves off this one part. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. It leaves it out of the text. But and why do you suppose that would be? Well, we could probably assume that uh, maybe um, these are some of the men, men who seem Pharisees who heard it before, who had heard him say it previously. But the reference here is obvious. The only sign given is that Messiah will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And it presumes then that a resurrection will take place after that period of time. Would that be a miraculous sign when you consider that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law believed in the resurrection of the dead? Would that be a miraculous sign? Well, yes, it would, because while they believed in a resurrection, they believed that it would happen all at once, the righteous all coming to life at once. And here Yeshua singles himself out as being the only one resurrected after three days and three nights. Now, what did I say we would do with another miraculous sign from Yeshua? What did I say they would do? Minimize it, right? Well, what did they do with this sign? Well, they made excuses. They minimalized it, just as, they did, just as we do the parting of the sea and others. When the Pharisees heard that Yeshua had risen from the dead, they said someone stole the body. Even with the testimony of those who had seen him, they didn't understand. They missed the hour of their visitation, and then they led the rest of the Jewish people of Israel astray and into darkness that Shaul speaks of when he says there's a veil over their eyes. They demand a sign, but then those who demand a sign, when they receive it, they'll usually begin to minimize the sign anyway. Trivialize it, discount it, ignore the sign. So signs aren't really always that effective. The point is here, we have some uneducated fishermen and farmers who have discerned the miracles of Yeshua as being the son of David, the Messiah. The simple people of Israel are following him. And remember from last week, even the Gentiles in the land of Israel, in Tyre and the Decapolis, understood what the highly educated Pharisees had not. They understood. They sought Yeshua out. But the Pharisees failed to see the hour of their visitation. And they, being the leaders of Israel, will lead the rest of the people of Israel astray as well. What caused this? Why do they miss the Messiah? Why do they fail to associate his works with his mission? Why do they fail to see the hour of their visitation? Well, Yeshua will answer it for us in a moment. But think about it for a moment. Let's just think about it. Who comes up with all these wild theories that contradict the miracles of the Bible? Let's look at a few of these. Like, God didn't create the world in six literal days. Each day of creation is like a million years. 
and the evolutionary process. We've all heard that one, right? Yeshua didn't resurrect, but his body was stolen by his disciples. God didn't part the sea. It was a strange and uncommon wind. Israel didn't wander in the wilderness because we can't find anywhere in the wilderness where the land has been impacted by that many people. We've looked with our satellite imaging and we can't find it. Who does the minimalizing? Because there's, there's nothing new under the sun. It was the Pharisees then. And you hear still well-studied theologians telling people things like this. You know why? Because they have to combine the Bible with what they learned in the rest of their Greek studies. They go to school, they learn science and with that evolution and they have to combine that with what the Bible says and so we get teachings like each day of creation is like a million years. Even though the plants are created a full day before the sun is in the sky, how does a plant survive a million years without any sun? You see, the problem is the rest of what they've learned destroys faith. It is their learning that kills faith and leads them astray. The simple, the uneducated, the Am Israel, the simple people of Israel are following Yeshua in faith, coming to him in faith for healing. They're hanging on each and every word. They're amazed by his teachings. And yet, the educated, the teachers of Israel, the wise men of Israel have ignored all that they have seen all the wisdom they have heard, and they come testing him, asking him for a sign. Not so that they'll believe, but so that they might use their learning to discredit the miracle in Yeshua. Learning often, not always, but learning often destroys faith. And the reason is simple. Most learning is done in the flesh. We go to school in the flesh. We take pride in our learning. We display our accreditations on the walls. We've gone to Greek schools of higher learning, schools filled with atheistic teachings that destroy faith. And then we try and combine them and mix them with the Word of God. We try to make them fit into the creation narrative of God. And guess what? They don't fit. You see, the learning, the only learning is the learning that's done in the Word of God and discerned by the Spirit of God, aided by the Spirit. That leads you closer to God. Everything else puffs up. There's a fine line between learning to know in the flesh and learning to know of God in the Spirit, to know God in the Spirit. It's easy to move from one path to the other either. They're not so uh, discernible. So it takes diligence in prayer. It takes diligence in prayer and study. It takes diligence in the way you live out the teachings that you've learned. Those things that the Spirit reveals to us are knowledge. That's knowledge. But those things that we learn in and of the flesh lead us away from God. Yeshua knows this. That's why he says this next in verse 4. Then Yeshua left them and went away, and when they crossed the sea, the disciples forgot to take bread. 
Be careful, Yeshua said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they discussed this among themselves and said, it is because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Yeshua asked, oh, you of little faith. Why are you talking amongst yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets you gathered? Or seven loaves for the 4,000? And how many baskets you gathered? So Yeshua takes them right back to the miraculous feedings of the four and 5,000. The reason, of course, is simple. It's to show them that he speaks not about bread. Bread is not a problem for Yeshua. He's already made bread out of nothing. He's the bread of life come down from heaven. So he goes on and he says this, How is it that you don't understand that I was not talking about bread? But watch out, beware, watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then they understood that he wasn't telling them to guard against the yeast using bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What was it about the Pharisees that had corrupted them to the degree that they didn't understand, that they didn't see the hour of their visitation. They didn't understand the times. Well, it was their great knowledge of Scripture and traditional teachings. They had begun to rely on tradition so heavily, on their, so heavily on their understanding that they didn't see the Messiah as he stood right in front of their faces, performing miracles, signs, and wonders. Their learning in the flesh had made their hearts hard. Their knowledge had gone to their heads, so to speak, and they're living their lives from the head and not the heart. Their feelings of piety and self-righteousness had kept them from seeing the righteous one who stood before them, and so he says, beware, beware. You see, there's nothing new under the sun. You can see this today. Because many people who get involved in rabbinic Judaism have become puffed up just like this. They won't associate with others. They won't eat with others. They become so puffed up, many of them, that they actually forsake Messiah and start going to the regular synagogue. I found this one of the most difficult things that I've ever had to teach. And that's the difference between traditions bad and traditions good. Most of us, we look at this passage of scripture in the church and we use this as a polemic against the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Mark in his gospel speaks of the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod when you understand that both the Sadducees and the Herodians were in bed with Rome, you begin to understand why they could use these interchangeably. But what it is, it's those things that lead you away from faith in God, from understanding His plan in relation to the current times. You know, we can go into the teachings in the, of the Pharisees and we can find some wonderful things there. You've all heard me quote those things. They confirm and build our faith in Messiah Yeshua. And we can go in there and we can find some things that are meant, just purposely meant to destroy our faith in Messiah Yeshua. In fact, there are many polemics in the Talmud against Messiah. So there are good Jewish traditions and they're bad. 
But if we begin to rely on those traditions or begin to think that we're more righteous because we know and do more things than others, we're fools because there's only one righteous one. There's a righteousness revealed that is apart from the law. And make no mistake, there is only one who's righteous and everything else is filthy rags. But we have traditions that are good. But those traditions that are bad can take us away from God. We can take a good tradition and make it bad. We can see the same good and bad in traditional Christian teachings. You can go into Christian commentaries and find good and bad. You know, Martin Luther wrote some amazing and wonderful things. He also wrote a polemic against the Jewish people that Hitler used in the Holocaust. We can listen to amazing sermons on faith in Messiah from a pastor, and then in the next breath he'll talk about putting up the Christmas tree this weekend. So traditions, no matter whose, can be, can be a minefield. It's a minefield out there. I tell people the internet is a minefield. You've got to be careful what you read on the internet. There's some awful stuff out there. That's the reason we need to heed the words of the master. He says, watch out, beware. In other words, just don't throw out the teachings of the Pharisees. Just don't throw them out completely as the church has done. But he's telling us to give them careful examination. We in the church have taken the words of Yeshua to mean an across-the-board rejection of anything Jewish. That's not what Yeshua meant here. And we all know that because we know many of his teachings line up perfectly with that of the Pharisees. Notice that he says to his disciples, we read it as, watch out, beware of the teachings of the Pharisees. We're to watch out. Well, let's look at what the Greek word means. To see with your eyes, to see with the mind, to perceive, to know, to become acquainted with by experience to take heed and beware. In other words, he's telling us to examine them carefully. We're to know them, experience them, but we're also to take heed. It was never Yeshua's intent to throw out everything that thousands of years of God working with the people of Israel had taught. Heaven forbid! But that we examine them carefully and take what is good and leave what is not, so to speak. We're to take and examine them carefully for what God had taught the teachers of Israel and throw out what the teachers of Israel who operated in the flesh had taught Israel. And with that understanding, what must our, what must our criteria be for accepting or rejecting as we read some of these Jewish commentaries? Well, I can tell you what my, what my uh, criteria is for any commentary, whether it's Christian, whether it's Jewish, whatever. Three, three, three things. First, does it lead me closer in love and understanding of the Messiah Yeshua? Does it lead me closer to relationship with God? Does it lead me with a fuller understanding of his plan or not? 
Is it to make me look pious? Or does it allow me to live a life as the blessed one lived? Second, does it lead me closer in relationship with my brothers in Messiah Yeshua or not? Will it foster relationship and friendship with, with God's people or not? Will it bring me closer to my brothers or would it put a wall up between us? Third, does this teaching help me fulfill what God has spoken to me? Does, does it, how does this fit in to the command that Yeshua gave to make many disciples for Yeshua? How does it proclaim Messiah Yeshua to the world? Because if it doesn't do that, then it's of no value to me. This is the watch out part. Yeshua says, watch out. Examine carefully. And he also says beware, and I put the Greek word up here again, to bring near, to bring, to turn the mind to, attend, be attentive, take heed, to apply to oneself, attach to oneself. We could better think of this rather than beware as be aware. In other words, examine, give it to thought, if it's not good, take heed. If it's good, apply it to oneself. I always like to say, I like to take the meat and spit out the bones. And we endeavor to do that at KSS. What brings us closer to God and each other? And then put the rest of it in the garbage because that's just bones. Examine each and everything. Pray about it. Meditate on it. Discern out of prayer by listening to the Spirit of God. Study not out of the flesh, but pray and ask God for the leading of His Spirit. Those things, I think we all get those things. I mean, you should by now, but if you've been here for any length of time listening to me. I think that we can all discern those things. However, we can still be led astray. Where many are led astray is our learning begins to replace our faith in our prayer life. Don't ever let your learning, your study, replace your prayer life. When we get into traditional rabbinic teachings that lead us into no longer eating with other believers because of a traditional expansion of dietary laws or, or purity laws or other laws that aren't God's, mind you, but rabbinic laws like hand-washing and the like. When we do this because we think we're gaining some righteousness through it, when we begin to think that we're more righteous than those who may not be, have read these things or studied these things as well, then we, like the Pharisees, have begun to miss God. And we've begun to erect walls between us and God and between us and our brothers. If we turn people away from relationship with God for, keeping, for the keeping of traditions, we've missed the path. And we're following down the same path of the Pharisees. I want to read what Yeshua says of the teaching of the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23 and combine it with my criteria. Listen to what verse 1 through 7 says. Then Yeshua said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders. They themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. They love 
the place of honor at banquets, the seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have men call them rabbi. How does that fit into my first criteria? See, because the proof of any teaching is in the pudding. And their teachings had led them to pride and division. A feeling of love and love of the feeling of supremacy. Because scripture says, knowledge puffs up. Those things do not lead you into relationship with God. Those things do not bring you closer to God. But they are actually a wedge that's driven between you and your relationship with God. Because pride is repulsive to God. The sin of pride is the sin of Adam and Chava that we read about last week. They wanted to be like God. The rabbis' teachings, many of them had led to religious pride, not bringing you closer to God, not teaching you about the love of God, but leading you into the abyss of religious pride. So many, not all, mind you, were led by their teachings, and it doesn't fit into our first criteria. It doesn't fit into a closer relationship with God, but it leads you to rely on the flesh. Let's read the next second criteria. See how this fits into the second criteria. I'm going to read it again. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them? How does that lead you into a closer relationship with God's people, with your brothers? It hadn't led them into a closer relationship with the people of God, but it had led them to burden the people of God, alienated them from the people of God. Put people into bondage. The Pharisees were separate almost to the degree that they were separate from everyone else except themselves. When was the last time, think about this, when was the last time you took one of your sons or daughters and put a crushing load on them and then sat back and criticized them for not being able to carry it without giving them any help? Because that's what was being spoken of here. There's no love of your brother in this. There's no love of your brother in legalism. But there is love in a spirit-filled Torah observance. Our third criteria was did it help us spread the word of God? Listen to what he says about the teachings of the Pharisees. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut up the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, and you will not let those who are trying enter who are trying. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much of a son of hell as you are. The harsh rulings of the Pharisees had kept people from God. The purpose of Israel was to be a light to the nations, to lead them to God. But God is not a list of traditions. He's not a list of rules. But he's one who desires relationship with his people. And that's not what the Pharisees were offering. That's not what they were teaching. That's not the path they were leading them on. You know how we know? You can't lead someone where you yourself have not been. Friends, you can't keep the law and make yourself righteous. Your keeping of the commands of God doesn't make you better or more righteous than someone who does not yet know how to keep the commands of God. 
There's only one thing that makes you righteousness and shows righteousness, and that's found in the words of Habakkuk, Shaul, and the writer of Hebrews, all three. The righteous will live by faith. It is that faith and trust in God that leads you to be led of the Spirit. It's being led of the Spirit that leads you into a perfect walk with God. Upholding and living a kingdom life that's not contrary to the law, heaven forbid, but rises so far above the law of God that you're no longer under any judgment. That's how you're not under the law anymore. Your life so far surpasses what's written in the written law that you're no longer subject to its penalties. That's the life Yeshua lived. That's the life we're supposed to model. There's only one thing that makes us righteous and shows righteousness, and that's to walk by faith. And I want to say something. And so I'm asking that, you know, we... Be led of the Spirit. Let's not be led by men, but let us check the things that we learn and do with God. Develop our prayer lines. Spend time in our prayer closets and get to know the Holy One of Israel. Not know about Him, not know of Him, but get to know the Holy One of Israel. The only way you can do that is with relationship.